0: Hello and welcome to some Derps talk about games. I'm your co-host Mango, and I am your co-host Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about roguelikes. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we uh, like
1: to talk about games. Uh, yeah. So this is your this is your topic.
0: So yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so so this kind of came to me because um, I realized that in, in in the past kind of um, in the past few. What have you been doing this week? I've I've been neglecting to say that I've been playing a whole bunch of Cave Cave Blazers. Um Cave Blazers being this, this game that's in early access. Um uh, according to Steam, I put twenty-five hours into, but I'm usually doing it while I'm listening to like a podcast or something. Um, and it's it's a in some ways a roguelike. It's it's uh it's got kind of the the whole permadeath you play every game from the top of the dungeon and make your way down, but in other ways it's uh it's it's not. Um, it's It's got things in common with, with other kind of roguelikes like Spelunky or Rogue Legacy. But those are very different from the original Rogue. And I thought it would be interesting to explore the genre because it's come to me a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, uh, yeah,
1: I mean, just, that's definitely true because uh, when we first started talking about this, I said I've been playing XCOM uh, as kind of like an almost an example of a roguelike. Yeah. Uh, but you didn't. You didn't seem to think that that fit quite fit the definition.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can see the elements with Iron Man mode, which is kind of you know, one save you can never go back. Um, but uh, I, I'm curious. Have you ever played like any any of the like I've never played the original Rogue, but I have played a bunch of NetHack. I've um, not
1: played either the original Rogue. I've not played NetHack.
0: Um, uh, you haven't happened to play I'm like to Hack?
1: Think. Probably the first rogue like I really came into contact with was FP- FTL. It's like the truest roguelike that I think I've ever played.
0: Oh, man, that's, that's interesting because, huh, huh, interesting. Have you ever played, like, uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon? No, I you know, it's actually, let me try and think of some. I haven't played Binding of
1: Isaac or Spelunky. Um,
0: Curse Net of the Hax. Necrodancer?
1: Yeah, I haven't played that. Well, that came out after after FTL.
0: Sure um so, to, so so to just kind of like launch into this um the original rogue and then hack and net hack after it um were had a bunch of elements to it some of which I think are variously important to defining the genre um or not but the the, the kind of base thing with it is that it was a top-down adventure game um with ASCII graphics where when uh, it was played on kind of like a, a grid, and when your character, like, it, w- it was essentially turn-based. It wasn't real-time. Whenever you moved, all of the enemies in the room also got to move, and uh, you picked up items, and there was, and the, the the big, probably most recognizable roguelike element is permadeath. When you died, the game was over, and you started over from the top. Um, and, and I'm kind of curious about how th- how that this became, like, like the defining element of roguelikes is kind of this um the game isn't super long in itself but it's super tough so you probably won't beat it uh until a bunch of hours of playtime. um when that was kind of the modus operandi for like arcade games for a very long time uh I guess maybe the lack of, of of being able to pay a quarter for continues also helped with that but we've seen the, the kind of genre expand in a, in a variety of different ways, um some that stay more true to kind of like the 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 tile aesthetic, um like uh but eschew kind of the the permadeath options like, um Pokemon Mystery Dungeon which t- it doesn't have that many that 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 harsh penalty for death at all to um games like like Spelunky and Cave Blazers which are which are real time sideways uh uh sideways games that that are very action based but do have this kind of permadeath uh aspect to it where you, you start at the top of the dungeon each time um and it's kind of weird that that kind of everybody recognizes this all as kind of playing in the same space even though the games are, are so divergent like faster than light um is a roguelike in the sense that if your ship blows up you start over and and I think another big part of this too is also because I feel to mention this before, is that um, the levels tend to be randomly generated. Um, you know, you, you're you not going through a, a set uh, ge- a set game each time. Um, uh, but it's got, like, uh, FTL has real-time combat, and it's spaceship to spaceship as opposed to, like, person to person.
1: I think my own personal headcanon ish for this, is, uh, it's almost that roguelikes have a, like, a block of, uh, traits, like, mechanics, and then you can kind of mix and match in order to create, and, like, the, the number of those mechanics, the more and more roguelike you become, right? Like, like, for instance, I usually think, you know, so, I think XCOM is fundamentally pretty roguelike-like. Um, it's just, um, you know, it's not an RPG; it's a strategy game, right? Uh, but it is, you know, it's turn-based. Uh, there's permadeath for your members, and there's also permadeath for for you. You know what I mean? Uh, like there is a, like a lose state. The gameplay is, uh, you know, emergent, right? Like and and like different degrees of this kind of thing, right? Like do, when you when you say procedurally generated or like randomized levels, well, in the In XCOM, the level tasks are randomly generated, and the, your starting point and end point on the map are randomly generated, but the maps themselves are fixed, right? Like, how much of that makes it a... Like, what percentage of that, right? Like, is is roguelike, right? Like, can you make a roguelike, uh, for instance, I think, uh, you know, can you, can you bust down genre walls, make a roguelike shooter, right? Or, like, a roguelike card game. You know what I mean? Like all of these kinds of things
0: um create Cuts.
1: degrees of roguelike see, to, see, you know.
0: This is interesting to me because like like all, all of the games that I've mentioned so far, from Pokemon Mystery Dungeon to Cave Blazers to FTL to Binding of Isaac, these all ver- feel very like I have no problem calling them rogue like enter the dungeon uh cave blazers uh I, I, I play a ton of these games because it's kind of uh, Darkest Dungeon, um. but XCOM really just doesn't, like, something, I, I don't, you know, in, in kind of like the 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 words of uh, that senator when he was trying to define pornography, he's like, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it, and XCOM kind of hits that, like, that's not, that's not a roguelike to me, and and I, I, I'm, i I'm going to try and put it into words, I, I think that, like, the, the core gameplay loop, being like this squad-based tactical decision, just doesn't drive with me um, as being as being what roguelikes are really about. Um, but but then I then I think again, like, well, how does this differentiate itself from FTL, which is essentially that is essentially a squad-based game in itself with with a lot of similarities to. Yeah, right. XCOM. Yeah, right? Doesn't that make it a little rough?
1: Um, I mean, maybe I think, so I think another piece of this that is missing from XCOM is kind of rapid iteration, right? Yes. Roguelikes I think really true. expect you to, um, like, you can lose, like, it's like, yeah, yes, you can lose an XCOM game. I've lost basically every XCOM game I've ever played. Um, you know, like, the, the percentage that I win XCOM games is relatively low um but that happens over the course of many many hours compared to fewer and fewer um and it's also interesting because like so for instance civ has randomly generated maps and it's turn based and everything like that and it has so,
0: permadeath technically and
1: it technically right and it technically has permadeath but i wouldn't call that a, i wouldn't call that a roguelike but for some reason xcom 2 feels roguelike like <laughs> <laughs> and and Steve doesn't, and I don't n- have a great sense of what the difference is.
0: I mean, so, so I, I I think the easy thing you could say about Civ is that it's 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 primarily a a civilization building game, and and most roguelikes are kind of based more in in, in kind of like the a tactical lower level area. I don't think I've ever played a, a roguelike that's that's taken like a thousand foot view of anything. Mm. You're always.
1: What I'm trying to think what a uh, dwarf fortress? Would you consider Dwarf Fortress? Dwarf Fortress
0: or? isn't a roguelike. Okay. Dwarf, dwarf Fortress I'm trying to think
1: I I'm trying to think of something that I would think that of well, as see,
0: being Dwarf Fortress is, is a whole other genre that's kind of um like with the same uh what was that game I was talking about um earlier in the year? Um the space game. I think, oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's that one that I want to buy it's early access. Rimworld, right, right, yeah. right. Like, I think, or, or Factorio, I think those are their own kind of genre. I don't know if I've got, like, a name for that genre, but I wouldn't call them roguelikes. Um, so, I, I think part of the thing that that, that kind of, this is going to sound weird, that bothers me about um, about XCOM is that kind of the upgrade path for everything is kind of static, right? Like, whenever you advance to a point in XCOM, it's always advancing kind of along the same path. And even though the individual maps might be uh, randomized, the kind of cadence to get there is is very very much the same as including like up upgrade trees and whatnot. Um, I think one of the more defining characteristics of roguelikes also includes this this aspect of um, you know what you get in uh, what, what you get in the run is is very randomized, and you can like sometimes a run is not great because of what you pick up. You're like so, sometimes the run is just doomed, but that's okay because you can always restart, and maybe you'll get a better run on on the uh, on the way down.
1: <sighs> hmm. I think that's actually sort of fair. Uh, in a weird way, XCOM is kind of two games that two games simultaneously that both have roguelike elements kind of to them, right? Because you kind of have the randomized mission structure, right? You know, like, oh, gorilla targets and, you know, your starting location on the planet and, and you know, like, uh, uh, those kinds of things on, like, the macro level. And then on the micro level, you have things like, you know, like Iron Man mode if you enable it, right? And it's kind of how it's meant to be played. Uh, you have permanent death of your uh, individual Characters. They are also RPG, um, uh, you know, RPG characters. I would also say, by the way, that kind of the randomization of loot that you get from opponents uh, does kind of add to that to that kind of process. But there's also a lot of pieces within that that don't necessarily match up because I do think that you're right, like. In general, the macro path, even though the minutia of how you kind of get from point A to point B, the, the major moments are still the major moments that you kind of go through, right? Like the big upgrades are the big upgrades, uh, and no matter what, you know, you're not going to beat the game unless you... It's not like you can randomize into, uh, uh, you know, like plasma weapons. You first have to go to laser weapons, right? Uh, right. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then even in the, uh, even in, like, the kind of the squad-based structure uh, of everything, you know, like, those upgrades, I think you're right that those upgrades are, uh, because the tiers are kind of, s- are, are that static, it makes it, I don't know, there, there's a lot of roguelike elements to something like XCOM. Like, I, like I wouldn't call it rogue like, but it is like it's a little bit of like how you know it's, it's we got kind elements. of say yeah, it's got you know like something has RPG elements. Like this has a lot of
0: yeah, a you lot know, of rogue like. Call elements. Call of Duty isn't an RPG, but it's got increasing numbers of RPG elements. Um, yeah, I think I could agree with that. Um, do Do you play a lot of roguelikes, buddy? Because I no, I, play I really a don't. Uh,
1: I you know I, I can get very frustrated with with rogue uh, especially because you know like. My experience with these kinds of games comes very much from the, uh, it comes from the strategy side of things. You know, like when I'm thinking about, you know, a randomized, you know, randomized maps in a starting location, I kind of go back to my history as a Civ player, right? Like, or uh, or like Sim City or any of these other kind of strategy games that I've played um, over the course of my life or whatever. And so like when I look for those kinds of elements in a game, I don't look for them in the context of a roguelike. I look for them in the context of a strategy game, if that makes sense. Because I actually think that there's a good amount of overlap between the two of those. Um, And maybe this is a little bit of what, this is a little bit of what, uh, like even, like even FTL, I I maybe really just haven't played like a true, true, like true blue roguelike.
0: So I I actually think that you're, you're absolutely right. That, that, um rogue that roguelikes do have a huge overlap with strategy, especially the more pure ones, right? Like you go back to your net hacks, you go to I, I think probably the best um implementation of a modern roguelike or of of a roguelike in the in the modern world, like a very classic roguelike is Dungeons of Dreadmore, which is pretty much like the 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 regular rogue roguelike like you know, is, is, is essentially a modern version of rogue with maybe a little bit of a goofy theme right. to it. Sure. Um, as opposed to like Binding of Isaac, which is which has action elements, um, and Crypt of the Necro Dancer is pretty close too, except it forces kind of snap the sh- decisions. Um, are you familiar with Crypt of the Necro Dancer?
1: Yes, uh, I've actually Crypt of the, ne- the Necro Dancer has been on my kind of to playlist to a certain extent um, for uh, for a while. I guess I saw a review on YouTube somewhere. I think uh, uh, Bunny Hop did a review of that uh. Super Bunny Hop. Uh, yeah, it's also you know what's actually also kind of interesting is uh y- you know like to what extent is a game like Minecraft a roguelike?
0: I don't think. See, I see. I, I don't. I don't think very much at all. It doesn't it doesn't have like, it it doesn't have permadeath, and it's um, kind of about the the game's about construction, right? It's not. So I, I think something else that's core to these core to these games is that. Um, there, there is, there is like an end game, right? Like there's no end game to Minecraft, but there is an end game to roguelikes, right? You're trying to get to the bottom of the dungeon, um, and defeat the final boss. And it might take you a long, long time to do that. Um, and it might take you many hundreds of playthroughs to, to, to hit that point. But that is, that, that is what you're trying to, you're trying to end, you're, you're trying to beat the game. Well, you know, I mean, there's an insane in the ender dragon, but I see the point. Like I so the Ender Dragon is is, is that it's like like everything in, in Minecraft is, is is optional, right? You don't have to go kill the Ender Dragon. Um, you well, just, so
1: are you are you saying that a roguelike has an explicit win state versus an implicit
0: one? I I, I think so. Okay. Like I, okay. Like, like everything's built towards this goal of, of 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 advancing through the through the dungeon, um. I, uh, whether the dungeon is an actual dungeon or it's like several space systems but you're always trying like uh, again I think I think a big part of of the roguelike design is that the the game itself if you were to beat the game in one go it's relatively short it's iterable because it's so iterable a successful playthrough could last you only like uh you know like like an hour or so um or even less but the, the value in the game is that you won't you won't hit that playthrough for a long time because it requires a heavy mastery of of either the systems or the mechanics. Um which is actually I think where where kind of like it, it like roguelikes get their flexibility on mechanics more than they get them on kind of like I, I, I think you can I think it is interesting that it is very easy to vary the mechanics of a roguelike, but it's much less easy to vary kind of the the core rules of of, of a uh, of a roguelike and still have it feel the same. And I think that's because um, well, one's kind of a twitch mastery, and one's kind of a uh, a tactical mastery. They all require a certain amount of mastery in order in order to beat. Um, like NetHack, there's no Twitch involved because everything's turn everything's super turn based. Um there's no input th- bits at all. Um but uh it still requires a uh, mastery of knowing how everything works. Um but uh in in um in like say Enter the Gungeon, uh there's there's definitely a level of mecha- mechanical mastery with that as well as well as binding of Isaac. Um that also might be, I think. Um, because of kind of like the shared history of iterability with super hard platforming games like Super Meat Boy and Endgame. Like, I, I think the kind of drive that let, lets people enjoy those types of games where you kind of play the same level over and over and over again until you hit it right is the same type of kind of pleasure that you derive from playing a roguelike over and over and over and over again until you hit the mastery point where you can beat the game, even if it's not as directly one-to-one.
1: So, I think another
0: aspect to this uh,
1: is absolutely that roguelikes are very wide games compared right. to very narrow games, right? Like, um, I think that there's, you know, like, and they kind of have to be because otherwise the iteration, you you burn out all possibilities, essentially, Um and so that that kind of puts that that kind of like disqualifies a lot of things to a certain extent right but it also kind of like interestingly requalifies some things like like stellaris or or civilization beyond earth both have very kind of like wide progression trees um Which is kind of, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's interesting. It's interesting because I feel like there are just so many different things that you can kind of ascribe, like, from a – like, so many different qualities that you can ascribe to a roguelike that being – that it's very easy to find elements of a roguelike that exist – in other games. In a weird way, I I also think that this applies to kind of how we talk about, like, quote-unquote, RPG elements making their way into everything. Well, I think, yeah, RPG elements have made their way into a lot of things. But I also just kind of think that RPG, like, quote-unquote, RPG elements really aren't in elements of an RPG any more than they are elements of just game design in general, right? Like, yeah, progression-based mechanics are... are, are the, maybe it originated with the RPG but at this point you know if it's in everything then it's not an RPG mechanic anymore it's just a
0: like a game mechanic that we see all the time without a label like that i think that's i think that's actually super fair um like i you know th- there's a level where people will say anything like you know people will say uh anything with uh what's it called a um with with, with permadeath in it is uh is, is a roguelike, and I don't think that's, that's right at all, um, you know, I, I think there's, um, I, I, like the, the, you could, you can make games with permadeath that, that don't qualify as roguelikes, but I think that it's primarily associated, I, I think, I think you're right, right, in the same way that the modern age has a, a lot of pushes to have progression, because people want, I think, the, f- the feeling that they're like what they're doing kind of leads to something that makes them slightly better in fact funnily enough progression ma- based mechanics have been creeping their way into roguelikes um, <laughs> um and I think it's actually kind of i i think the addition of progression based mechanics to roguelikes is kind of has led to the steep increase in their popularity um can you just can you just clarify that point for me for a second uh- so I like as so you
1: and I are clear because I think I know what you're talking about, but I just want to make sure. So,
0: things. so, so by way of contrast, rogue and net hack and hack, um, everything you do, like if you lose, you start at the you start at the top of the game, and you you start completely fresh, and and you might as well have installed it on a new computer, or you right. know, or, you okay. know, you might have as well have written the game from scratch and played it again. Whereas um, in like Binding of Isaac, um, actually I'm not so uh, don't quote me on Binding of Isaac. I, I don't play much of that game because I find the theming too gross. But like, um, Rogue Legacy, you buy character improvements. Um, and many games the way they do this is it's not direct character improvements, but um, you add more op- like, you know, you more add more options to the random drops in the world. Uh, and you do that by like beating goals. Like in, in England the Guns, which is probably the one I've got the most time clocked in at this point, is you know, every time you beat a boss, you get a special credit that persists through your death. And then you can go back to town and buy a thing, and that thing will appear randomly in the dungeon, right, um, beneath you. And that gives the game that—that's a progression mechanic that is ne- that it, that is not in classic, uh Race, right? In NetHack, all those, um, all those options would be open to you from the beginning, um. Hmm. And, I, and I and I think th- this is also like how you unlock additional ships in FTL.
1: Yeah, that that is exactly actually what I was thinking of, right? Um, and the, well, so the additional ships are a little bit different. Uh, to a certain extent, I actually like the idea of kind of, um, uh, you know, a version of a roguelike where let's say there are kind of like 10 master levels and uh, and every time you get to some checkpoint or whatever, like you, you know, or like or like at the end of everything you get, you get a bunch of experience points and then you level up and each level gains, you gives you 10% extra health and damage, right? Just like in a hypothetical scenario. I actually think that that kind of a system is good insofar as it is low, um, kind of like it lowers the ceiling, but it raises the floor, right? Like, like I like the idea of even if you go through a couple of runs and just have a a horrible time, you're still building progression to kind of something to raise the bar, uh, to raise the floor a little bit on, on each of your successive runs, um, but like the, the the bulk of your power comes from the game. You know what I mean? Like if 5% of your power maybe is kind of maxing out this this kind of progression, right? But 95% of your power in any run is going to come from all of the magic items and shit that you get, like, normal. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I think that kind of... I think that kind of... Uh, of, a, of a progression would be an extremely valuable asset to someone designing a roguelike uh, and is probably... Yeah, I th- yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that, that's, what, uh, that's what... Rogue Legacy is, is very much like that. And I think that that game is is very popular. I, I but just the kind of uh, one back to my original point, um, about like how progression about how progression is kind of was originally an RPG mechanic and now it's kind of a universal mechanic. I think kind of the desire among the super hardcore crowd to have more difficult games has kind of led to permadeath being a more permanent mechanic in a lot of these games. Um, right. The rise of say dark souls, um, and this genre and, uh, uh, you know, and, any super hard mode super hard you know nuzlocke runs in pokemon and anything that adds adds a level of challenge to the game i uh, iron man mode next com um i think this is all kind of a, a symptom of, of 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 this phenomena which which i think broadly is just kind of adopting the best parts of other genres to 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 fuel engagement in in the game that you're you're currently playing um but. yeah yeah i think uh you know i think that's on the
1: money um i you know it is interesting because permadeath has has really risen i think so um here's my here's my kind of uh if i were lo- if i were making kind of a grand historical statement about games and about the design trends that go into them i would say that permadeath has risen because of how save states have changed um saving has become more Promiscuous, uh a feature auto saves and having a whole bunch of auto saves right like as storage space essentially right like this is kind of a tech thing right like um as sp- storage space becomes you know pretty infinite right you don't need to you don't you don't have that kind of thing of uh, like in pokemon uh, which is essentially kind of an iron man uh uh an iron man game with uh like to your last auto save if that makes sense, uh, or not auto save, but it's a manual save. But you know, um, and what, like as soon as you as soon as you save the game, everything that you've completed up until that save is locked and set in stone Uh, so you can save scum if you want but you can only save scum like the 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 most like recent kind of bit and those kinds of like single slot saves uh or even multi-slot saves that don't give you or like you know an auto save where it's just the most recent auto save and that's it right and if you proc a new auto save you lose that one that you just kind of got well now we have games where you know skyrim fallout 4 will give you five your five most recent auto-saves, and they'll roll off or whatever because there's so much storage space that it doesn't even fucking matter. Plus,
0: you have quick save and, and the ability exactly, to... Exactly, right? yeah, because, save quick
1: sa- because quick save takes two seconds, right? You know, I can just hit F5. My game doesn't even stop, right? I'm still playing it. I don't have to get into a menu screen, right? I don't have to go reach a save point, right? Like, the last game I can think of that I played that has, like, save points is from, like... 2009 right like marvel ultimate alliance has save points um and uh, anyway as as those mechanics have increased right and i think that those are good things right like these kinds of i i think playing with save mechanics is something that designers can and should do especially like dark souls is a good example of uh kind of making those decisions very purposefully and to a powerful effect for the player
0: yeah um it's actually funny i was gonna bring that up because Dark Souls is constantly saving and you can't control the save slot, but it does checkpoint you with the bonfires which are not as like they're, right. they're they're not a save state they're a, they're a checkpoint. Um and it actually unlike um older games where like that, that was like because it was a memory concern, you could fuck with that a little bit. Um Dark Souls saves when you when you fuck up um and just kind of resets you to the checkpoint as like a as like a starting point if that makes sense um essentially like you know in an old game you could uh that had save points if you screwed up real bad you could turn off the console and restart it and then it would reset you at that save point dark souls saves when you fail and just resets you at the save at at the at the checkpoint and if you try and turn it off you'll still be at that checkpoint post that save so uh I don't. I think that's an interesting way to play with it. But go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to inter- interrupt you.
1: No, I mean I. I think you're right. I think you are. Uh, I think you are making the uh, th- that that's kind of like the logical end point, right? Um, as the saving as saving technology gets better and better, and we give players more power when it comes to saves, it's also very natural to start making permadeath and removing those. The, you know. You know what I mean? Like, um, you start pulling. You, you start getting people who are like me, right? Like, I played XCOM 2 and I was playing and I was playing and then I started to realize that basically the way that I was playing that game was I was just progressively save-scumming my way to victory and I was like, oh my god, this isn't fun anymore. You know what I mean? Like, th- this isn't a challenge and it's not interesting even though I'm kind of hitting that, like, dopamine skinner box of winning or whatever. Well, that's mean but I don't mean it to be that way. So you know, so I go back and I say, okay, cool. Iron, let's let's do Iron Man, right? Um, and uh, and I do like truly fundamentally believe that I honestly don't think that. Well, I mean, I think players should have the choice, but like, man, Iron Man should totally be enabled at the start, and it should be like the default way to to play because it's so it's such a different experience, but it's such a better one.
0: Um, yeah, no, I I agree. Um, and you actually have that. You have like. Um, games introducing like a hardcore mode right like resident evil 7 it's uh it's it's hardest difficulty the save like it has save points in the game um you can't arbitrarily save but um uh in, in its hardest difficulty you have to like find items that are tapes for the tape recorder um to to save and if you run out of them you can't save anymore
1: Oof, that is a throwback to Resident Evil 1.
0: Yes, yes, that is. Uh, which is uh wow.
1: Yeah, I mean Resident Evil 1 is actually to to my uh uh to kind of my earlier point. Um I think Resident Evil 1 is a good example of kind of a uh you know like a version of saves from way back in the day that what that that feels like a consci- you know like It's a conscious gameplay choice and decision that really affects the way that you play the game, right? How you save, if you save, uh, because it's a limited resource, right? Um, A lot of the time, saving is, like, the resource that you're giving up is time, right? If I go and I clear you know, most of a level in Marvel Ultimate Alliance and I want to save right before the boss and I have to backtrack to the save point to do that or whatever, right? Like, the time it takes me to backtrack and the time it takes me to go back to the front from that save point is kind of the, uh, uh, is like kind of the price that you pay. Uh, but yeah, tying it tying it to kind of an in-game item like that is super, uh, is super interesting. It, it, and in a lot of ways, I actually feel like the same thing is true um, because of how we play, like how... Uh, technology has also made it easier to randomize stuff, right? Like, I mean, the original Rogue is obviously not a, you know, like, not a very modern game, but the the barrier to entry to making randomized, uh, procedurally generated just stuff at all is, like, that's a recent thing, you know what I mean? Like, you can't make Minecraft... Well, maybe you could, actually don't know, but like... um, you know the procedural generation that goes into Minecraft isn't something that you could load onto an NES,
0: right? Um, if that makes sense. Huh? Yeah. Um, I I'm just was, I was thinking. Do you know how how uh how old, Rogue is? I you know I don't offhand. I had the
1: uh. It's uh, it, xed out of my my tab with with Rogue, like uh
0: in in, on Wikipedia. It was uh it was made in 1980. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that is right? a lot older than I expected. Um, but I think I think you're absolutely right. I, I think the the technical reason for this is that Rogue was an ASCII art game, and kind of the values that you can throw in there are a lot different. I also, right, frankly, like I've, I've never played Rogue, so I I could be. But NetHack, which is 1989, I want to say, um, maybe 1987. Um, let me actually just look that up, so I'm I'm not totally wrong. Uh, NetHack. is 1987. Um, it's also an ASCII game, but that that game definitely definitely has like this this huge broadness. Um, but it's easy to st- there's like no animations in the game at all. There's like it's it's all just kind of like you know strings of information, and that's a lot easier to store than graphics, which is kind of why you don't have this broadness. Um, on the earlier consoles, because NetHack's a hardcore game for, uh, you know, the people that were willing to put up with that, right? Not not for uh nor- normal players you know like not not for your your Nintendo's cuz who's going to play an ASCII game on the Nintendo um you know, the the NES um and uh um frankly it's it's a little bit hardcore for me I can't play every uh, people will probably tell me that I'm doing it wrong but I've never played NetHack with the ASCII art I've always used the tile set on top of it cuz I just can't deal with it um and I and I think that um that that's kind of it's kind of an interesting look into the into the history because because those are the trade offs, right? Like, um, uh, the, the like, were you you either had to have like these minimal graphics or you could have more content, but it would have to be like something like even more minimal- minimalistic graphics and physics. You know, just kind of like basic con- uh, conflict resolution and ASCII characters to to make your game, um, which. You know, it's kind of like the divergence between, uh, like the the divergence that continues to this day between um, focusing on gameplay and focusing on graphics and presentation right. that people like to rail about.
1: Yeah, I mean, and well, I think it also comes into play, um, you know. Diablo is actually a pretty solid example of this, right? Like, for instance, when I played Diablo 2, I, I never got into Diablo 2. And the reason was is because I only ever played it in a in a multiplayer setting, right? Like, we would all get – we would all have these, like, big LAN parties and be like, oh, yeah, let's all play the Diablo, right? So we all load up Diablo um, and we and we create these characters. But because all of them knew the layouts to everything, right, Um, I was just kind of along for the ride. And I, there was no kind of sense of discovery because everyone else was just kind of, like – blazing through at the at the most uh rapid fire pace possible um but Diablo 3 because of its procedural generation like yeah you have a couple of maps that are uh you know locked or whatever um but the techno- you know like the technology that that separates the two of those is another good example of this kind of thing, right? And it's because Diablo 3 can be a 46-gigabyte program or, you know, whatever the number is, uh, whereas Diablo 2, you know, had to be megabytes comparatively.
0: Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. Um, I also think that that part... So so to kind of wind back to, to roguelikes, I think that... Um, so the combination of that, of like the, like the, the explosion of technology and resources and the rise of indies, um, kind of have led to this, res- the resurgence of this genre, right? Like you can have, um, a game that's, you know, like super meat boy or not super meat boy. That's not, a, the, that's a platformer. But like something right. like dungeons of Dreadmore, right? Um, right. it's not a huge game, um, but it can be bigger than any NES game ever was, and so it it has the resources of a modern system, which are enormous for a game that's as simple as 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 something like Dungeons of Dreadmoor, um, and you can use that to your to your fullest advantage if 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 that makes sense, right? Like you can use you only need like. Ni- you only need, like, 1995 level of hardware to run a game like Dun- Dungeons of Dreadmore in its basic form. But since we're right. in 2017, you can use all the technology to kind of, like, build the game out sideways rather than, you know, incre- you know increasing the gra- graphics and whatnot, right? You-, you can use the extra space to put in a thousand more weapons and a billion more mechanics that, you know, just you don't physically have the space for, Um And because because most indie games don't even have the option to build, um, uh, to to build more pretty like they like their only option uh to take advantage of of this new kind of of this world that uh, the technology we're in is to build out and build more complex and intricate games, um, and I think that that's a big part of why uh, why roguelikes have returned to uh to to the 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 kind of four I won't call it the forefront, but it's re- returned in forced to gaming, right? Like there's,
1: yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I think I, I think I, well, I, did not even think I do follow you, and I think, uh, and I think that is right on the money. Um, it's also, it's also something that allows you to update your game progressively without committing to you know like I it, it's in the same kind of way and you know we've talked about DLC in the past but in the same kind of way that certain aspects of DLC have been uh, kind of like negative or like you can you can kind of see the progression of DLC right like people always compare and talk about like oh brood war got its own expansion today you would just pay five dollars for each mission or whatever it'll be like two million bucks or whatever Um You also see kind of that, like, the way that DLC works, instead of creating, you know, additional length to your game, because we're adding DLC missions on DLC missions on DLC missions in the sense of, like, you know, like Mass Effect 2, right? Like, all that DLC just elongates a single playthrough by hours and hours. You create width um, by offering alternate, alternate routes from kind of point A to point B, right? Like... The DLC for uh, you know like the DLCs for something like for something like Warhammer, where uh, where you get Bretonia and now you have a new a, a kind of new track to to go beginning to end on uh, in order in order to play that game and for something like roguelikes where you know you are built on this width you are you are your whole system is about making sure that players progress through as wide a game space as possible in order to create that emergent gameplay um, that you know like that aspect to the way that we've changed and think about downloadable content and patches and expansions to games and everything like that is uh, is a big is a big help to kind of roguelikes.
0: Yeah, no, you're I I, I think you're absolutely correct. Um in particular because um like like Enter the Gudgeon, I think, is is, is a perfect example of this. Um, you know, they released a, a they call it a supply drop free update um, that wind, winds the game. They added some new guns. I think they added like uh, they got a couple new core features. But like, you can um, Binding of Isaac does this a bunch too. You you can add new new weapons, new bosses, new kind of like sub mechanics, new like maybe a new shop or something and that all like just slots into what it's already there and the game could still be like five levels long and then, um you've just made like each iteration different uh without necessarily you know like you said extending extending the game you've just made it um you've just made the pool ev- even wider and-, and the combinations even more um absurd uh, that
1: make does that make Hearthstone a roguelike because each new card that they add to the game is like that
0: I'm just joking, Yeah, totally joking No, I know, I know You know, it's still an interesting thought process to to, to go through, right? Like, how is Hearthstone like a roguelike? Um, And you're right, it's got a wide variety of options There's a ton of other reasons why it's not Um, The first thing I went to is like, does losing a game count as permadeath? You do kind of start back at the top um, I actually think there's a
1: really good case you could make for losing the game being permadeath. Yeah. I actually, by the way, also think that there's a good case for something like League of Legends You're losing the game as permadeath and you start back up at the top. Oh, uh, yes. In fact, I in fact I would actually go so far as to say, that I you know, I don't know that League learned this lesson, MOBA really, uh, or MOBAs in general really have learned this lessons from... Uh, uh, roguelikes necessarily but i'm trying to think of another oh well never mind no that's actually kind of a dumb point isn't it well so okay here's my point before i disassembled it in my head uh you know roguelikes are you know like the the quick iterations of roguelikes actually kind of feels like it flies in the face of you know a lot of the kind you know like the big games that we kind of think of uh from you know, Super Mario 64, right? You know, like, a lot of these are single-player games beginning to end, which are which are built to be, like, relatively long experience. But the short, choppy, you know, iterative stuff is stuff that's been part of, kind of, roguelikes uh, for forever, right? Like, and not even, the, you know, like, not even, like, strategy games or whatever. Like, those all go super long, too. Uh, and so the kind of, like, the short, choppy, iterative structure of something like a MOBA... You one one might argue that that kind of comes from, the you know, like, that has a genesis in roguelike, but the more I think about that, the more I really realize that has a genesis in the multiplayer, like, Quake uh, or, you know, like any of those kinds of, like, multiplayer shooter envi- environment like Halo, right? Like, you know, obviously there's the Halo campaign, but the idea of really quick matches that are... Um, where you kind of reset from yeah. from ground zero and build yourself back up. That all comes from that all comes from shooters. See, I I I I,
0: I think I think you're actually onto something though, because, um, you know, classic shooters don't have internal progression, right? Like, you, like you know, kill streaks are, are a modern thing. Um, classic shooters, you kind of are at almost the same power level throughout the game, except for spikes where you get like power weapons on maps. Um, so you mean are are you talking in the, in the sense of like Doom? Um, like Unreal, Unreal Tournament, right? Okay, sure. Um, and like the, and Halo, right? Like, yeah, I mean, Halo's a great example of that. Yeah, 100%. You, you don't, you don't actually, uh, you know, the power, your power doesn't increase over the game, uh, over, over a game of Halo. It has brief spikes when you pick up the rocket launcher, um, or, or the like, but it does, it, it stays level throughout. Um, and I think that, um, and something you're right about is Roguelikes were kind of the first games that. Um, like, uh, that each game was quickly chop, chopping, and iterative. But as you progressed through that playthrough, you did grow in power, right? You found better gear, mm. um, and I think that's actually, um, you know, part of part of the lasting appeal, uh, of of mobas, right? Like, you had games that had these permanent pr- progression scales, but it took forever to get there. And like, you know, in the case of something like an MMO, um, if somebody had been there ahead of you, you could never catch up. Um, right. but, but progression has this kind of innate draw to it. That's why we see, prog- that's why we see these external progression systems in roguelikes and in shooters and whatnot. Um, but these internal progression metrics, in like, in interior to an individual match, um, is something that kind of, uh, I, I think in, in multiplayer context, at least originated in Mobas. I think that's a big part of their draw. And I think it's, I think you're actually right. I think you can make a strong argument that, um, iterative gameplay, uh, that, um, uh iterative gameplay that per iteration has a strong curve to it is something that originated um in 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 roguelikes I uh you've actually kind of convinced me in those terms
1: I actually kind of agree with uh like like I I think I think the pro, you know like that progression I was thinking about it a kind of uh you know either either or but the progression from going like roguelikes to shooters to mobas definitely makes a lot of sense and I
0: think it's the um kind of the proper beginning to end yeah like you know i, I, I think Bobas in a lot of ways are kind of like bite-sized rpgs for um you know for for the moment that they're in right like they're 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 bite-sized um like pvp arenas from wow that you can do the whole thing in in you know 20 minutes to an hour instead of over the course of several days uh, of of your life right Several so, sure. so years of your life um and um i I think this 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 kind of all winds back into like um a desire like I, I think this is this kind of like as as kind of core gamers age um you know this is a strong desire for progression but maybe not the time that they used to have to 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 dedicate the time to, to get like a long term progression out of out of say a Witcher or a Mass Effect or a mm. JRPG, um,
1: yeah actually that makes a lot of sense right like that I makes a lot of sense
0: um and, and I think this is a big part of why there's these progression mechanics in in roguelikes right I can sit down and I can play for like thirty minutes I can play either um, a modern shooter or For Honor or um, a roguelike. And I'll have made some incremental progress there, um, but I'm not, like, prevented from doing the core thing by not having put all that time in. I could still play a full-fledged multiplayer match in For Honor. I could still potentially win the game in a roguelike um, in that 30 minutes. And if I don't, I've still progressed towards something that makes me, you know, better, more various, or whatever. Um... But it's it's not on the same type of like impossible timescale that modern MMOs seem to occupy, right? Like, right. Um. You you if if you sat down for a half hour uh, every day, how long do you think it would take you to get from level one to uh, to to rating in WoW? Probably the entirety of an expansion, if if that quickly. Um. Th- 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 does does th- does that track?
1: Uh. Yeah. I. I. I yeah. Um. Yeah, it's making me. Uh, it's interesting to kind of think about this stuff in a uh, like pe- like piecing apart because I think genres are a very interesting thing that comes into games, right? Like it's it's not a super clear one to one definition, and and because games are kind of like a like a late birth media um, medium, uh, they like they've kind of glommed on certain like terms and ideas from other places that makes it uh like hard to parse these genre definitions comparatively to other uh i don't know just just uh like like other media right like a sci-fi comic is a sci-fi comic is uh you know and and that translates to a sci-fi movie and that translates to a sci-fi tv show but you know Translating to a sci-fi game could mean a million different things, uh, which is kind of where where it gets where it gets really interesting. Something that I was thinking about uh, as we have you know a couple more minutes: um, what roguelike mechanics can you think of, or like, would you th- would you like to add to um, specifically like tabletop stuff? Huh. Because tabletop games are definitively pretty unroguelike in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Like the kind of progression that we're playing through in Hell's Rebels or whatever. Um, but there are also like are ways in which roguelikes, the, like where it does feel, you know what I mean? Like I generate a lot of loot on the random loot table for you guys. That's pretty pretty roguelike. Um, I don't know. It's 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 kind of an interesting. Like I, I I just wonder what your
0: uh, so I don't know if you could you could incorporate them in, into your into a typical game, right? Like, um, like you know, character permadeath is certainly there, um, but like, I think in order to kind of capture that essence, like I could see a, uh, I could see like a weird one off session where we're playing like you know we're playing say like Temple of uh, or what what what's the I can't remember the name of it the the, the famous one that kills everybody forever. Uh, the dungeon.
1: Uh, oh, you're right. What is that called?
0: Uh, it's, um... It is so famous. Tomb of Forgotten Tomb, Horrors. Of, Horrors, Tomb yeah. of Horrors, Tomb of Horrors, Like, I would see, like, all right, we're gonna play Tomb of Horrors. Everybody bring, f- like, 50 pre-gen characters, and as you die, you just kind of toss them out, and you pick up the next one, and you start back oh at the top. Oh, my God, that actually sounds awesome. Right, but I would want to do that, like, once. Not, like... That's fair. I wouldn't want a campaign of that. Like that would be horrific. I would. I would not come to a table every week to do that. Um, you know what? I actually.
1: You know what? I actually, would be a lot of fun in that context. I think. Well, you know. So interestingly enough, I actually kind of know that you could pull this off because the quick iteration of all this stuff almost feels like it, it would make it impossible. Um, but I like the idea of of kind of RNG genning. You know so for instance I'm thinking about it in the context of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay where basically your whole character is randomly generated because um, because you know like the idea is like the you know you don't choose whether or not you were born a noble, right? Or what you yeah. know like your your lot in life is your lot in life and you just happen to you know kind of random into it. And so I like the idea that like there could be a, ses- a system set up where you randomize everything. Like just like and make like a program almost that like spits out a character sheet, and so every time you die, you kind of spit out a new, you spit out a new character sheet. Um, which but but like could really force you into some weird situations of like, well, how do you play? You know, like what do you do with the, you know, what kind of choices do you make when you're playing a Magus that only has like a 12 intelligence, but has strength out the out the ass, right? You know, like how like. That changes the way that you think about it and the way that you play the Magus, uh, compared to uh, to compare kinda of to what to any other class.
0: Yeah, I mean but I, I think that's also kind of like part of what makes um like like in, in a roguelike, right? Like in a typical roguelike, that'd be just like a shit run, right? A run where you open up the lock chest and it's got some sh- like you know you enter the dungeon it's there's like you've got one key and you open up uh the chest and it's some like shitty upgrade that you can't really use to kill anything right when you're going into the first boss room with just your base pistol and you know maybe you've played the game enough that you can pull it off but you know you've kind of resigned yourself that this isn't gonna be great I'll just right. kind of like you know I'll. I'll I'll probably die here and I'll start again, right? Like and this is a similar thing, right? Like, you know, oh, I rolled like, you know, a 16 wisdom magus with 8 intelligence and 12 strength. You know, well, I'll hit things for a little while and this will be, be- this will be crappy, but you know, I'll I'll deal with it. Um and that that only becomes acceptable if you know you're going to iterate hard. Um Mhm. Although I do think that part of the thing you need for this is in like, in all these roguelikes, you can go, you can hit start and be like, all right, this, this runs fucked and just go to restart and start again. Um, like, I don't think, I don't think if you made someone play like that hypothetically, like, you know, I think a high strength, relatively low intelligence magus, you could play for a little while, right? Like, but like a low intelligence, high wisdom, low, like physical stats, magus. You know, I don't yeah, think you make uh, you, someone play.
1: Yeah, you would. You would basically force a re-roll if somebody got like an eight intelligence wizard, right? Yeah,
0: like, it just makes the
1: character impossible to
0: play. Or, or like, um, it, like yes, you've got an eighteen strength, eight intelligence wizard. Yes, he can hit someone with with his club really hard, but he's going to be so much worse at at it than anything else, right? Like, um, it's it's uh, yeah, um,
1: yeah. I, yep, no, I'm
0: I'm with you. I'm with you when it comes to that. Um but I do th- like I think for a difference is like I think Warhammer um handles these kinds of situations kind of deftly. Like I don't think you can roll a character that bad randomly in a uh, in in Warhammer um FRP. Um
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, and in Warhammer you also get some tools to kind of fix your shit because um you know, so much of the game, you know, because the game is all about progressing your base stats with experience um, by the template that your class like, dictates for you. What you end up getting is that if your base stats suck, you change them quickly enough that it doesn't affect you all that much. Yeah, you whereas whereas in Pathfinder, you know, you're just kind of, you know, if you roll an 8 intelligence and you're a wizard you don't have you know what i mean like it's not even like you know like if i if i'm playing wfrp and i roll hunter right like a ranged kind of dps class um and i have relatively low aim for first of all by the way the generation on this on these things is relatively standard right it's 20 plus 2d10 right so even if you start with kind of a 22 or whatever maybe it's even 20 plus 1d10 maybe it's like 10 plus 2d10 uh you uh you can actually you increase by increments of 5 and so after your first two missions you've already added 10 points to whatever you, you know to like whatever that kind of stat line is and it's not a huge it's not a huge deal do you see what I'm saying
0: yeah no absolutely um i i feel like certain systems are much better like like paranoia paranoia i think is is the closest thing to a uh to a rogue tabletop there is <laughs> um,
1: absolutely sure
0: um and i think like the nature of that game makes it work um but uh
1: you know i'm wondering uh, could you, you would, how would you feel about a game like uh i mean we basically randomized uh we basically randomized dusk city outlaws you how would you feel about using it with something like dusk city
0: outlaws so so actually i kind of i i briefly thought about this when you when you first mentioned it like i think dusk city outlaws is a pretty pretty good fit for um, roguelike as well right like if you're treating it as kind of like um like a series like like if you treat each heist relatively independently right mm-hmm. like you know if if your crew fails to heist um and you want like and you want to get back on the horse and try a different heist there's nothing that really stops you and yeah it sucks that you you lose kind of like whatever emotional bond you you've uh, grown to grown to those characters but i think you could play it in that way you could like i think you know once you have like a handful of scenarios, the game is, is, could, you could play the game as, like, a highly iterable, um, iterable style game. Um, I'm actually going to push back on that for a second. Because oh. I think in
1: a game like Dusk City Outlaws, you actually can't do that. Um, I think in a game like Dusk City Outlaws, because it's so narrative-based, and because it's all about, uh, kind of the, uh, uh, it it would be easy with dusk city outlaws because they're so min the mechanics are so minimalist, right? Right. But it would actually be also in in the in bad. It would just be a bad idea because the mechanics are so, mi- like, minimal, right? Like, engaging with the roguelike in, uh, in, is is always done in terms of mechanics. It's very rarely done in terms of kind of, like, story structure. Right, right. And I think the thing you're giving up by saying – I mean, this kind of happened to me when I rolled a specific kind of class combo. Um, the, what you're giving up by forcing someone to adopt a class combo that they're – like, a, a, a cartel class combo that they're not uh, – in like they're not as into because it's just naturally random compared to them choosing what they want to play right like them coming up with an idea of like oh this is actually a great plan let me do this for the you know what i mean like um that i think is what is what kind of defeats uh, uh you you need that you want players to be as super into their characters as possible right uh, and that's how you get things like you know i mean i had all this like <laughs> like i had all this stuff about montgomery uh and it came up, it came up. But, like, you know, like the idea that Montgomery is kind of like a card shark that gets sent to, uh, to kind of, uh, like rival gambling houses to just win at, you know, like to, to, to win at their games and bankrupt the house, right? Like, that's something that, like, that's a, like, that's a cool hook. But if I couldn't use that hook
0: because I would random into a certain class, that would suck. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. I, I, I think. I think you're right. Um, it would certainly take a talented set of storyteller, storyteller and players to to play Duck City Outlaws like a roguelike. people who could just kind of like generate characters. Like when I say generate characters, I mean like not just the mechanics, but like the full blown stories of them off the top of their head and jump into it narratively. That right. kind of uh, what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it like like schizophrenically um, would be. I, I'm going to say it's possible, but uh, highly unlikely. Um, but, um, anyway, speaking of Dusk City Outlaws moving into our week. Oh, shit. Is the Kickstarter over? It I is.
1: I bet it is. Ah, fuck my life. I did it back in.
0: Uh, yeah, well, um, I'm sure you'll be able to purchase it at some point in the future. Yeah. But... Um, that last podcast, I sent it to them and I got a second scenario. So at some oh point, boy, we can, uh, at some point we can, we can play the scenario. The best thing this podcast has ever done for us, saved us $3 on a scenario download. <laughs> it was all worth it. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I gave it a quick once over. Um, I think it's neat. It'll, uh, certainly be a cool thing to do when we, uh, when we get around to it, um, but those—do they do they include any more cartels or anything? No, it's it's it's, it's just another scenario. Okay, I don't think we're getting that. Well, we know what the two other cartels are—the ones that aren't described. It's the Forgotten and the um the the Night Watchers. Um. Uh, but when we uh. Um, when 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 it all comes out. Uh, I think it'll, I think it'll definitely be a, a good thing to jump into. I wonder if they'll have a president. I bet you they'll have a president at Gen Con. We should see if we can find a, a game at Gen Con, um, and see if, you know, may, maybe one of the devs is there running one of these games. I could see that. I happening. really,
1: really hope that's the case. I'm going to be really on, on point to look out for that, uh, because I'm so into this. I'm really like this, uh, this world.
0: Yeah, though no, it's, 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 a. Uh, it's cool. I'm ex, I'm excited. Um, uh, what uh we didn't play any DD of of any did we play anything this week no because we recorded yeah, after we recorded after hell's rebels and we're not playing hell's rebels this week and we didn't play Rune Lords this week um although i guess we could make an announcement um we'll be playing we'll be finishing Rune Lords like all weekend the weekend of march the 25th and the 26th so um for all of our loyal views out there i'm looking at you jackie chan opera singer you can, <laughs> you can uh, watch us uh, marathon the rest of the campaign that weekend. Um, By the way, something else
1: to kind of announce because I know that there have been view or listeners who have gotten in touch with me about this. Uh, we are thinking about playing other. Uh, we're like thinking about playing other games that are getting uh, included. Uh, for that like after rune lords ends we're th- thinking about playing other games so leave a comment send us a message or something if you want to come play with us because we're super cool and everything like that because otherwise i'm gonna forget
0: yeah uh, but yeah you know the best way to, to to get to us is to leave a comment in a five-star rating on itunes oh right yeah <laughs> that's true do that definitely um <laughs> uh, but uh we're not closing the podcast. I just wanted to mention
1: that because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm one thousand percent gonna forget. But I know, I know, I've gotten, I've know, I've gotten reader feedback that's like, "What are you guys playing your next game? I want to be a part of it." Um, but uh, so, so what, have, what have you been playing this week, buddy? What have I been playing? I've been playing XCOM 2 the Lung War too. Tell great, me about this. Tell me about this. Which is fucking amazing. It is way better than actual XCOM two. <laughs> so,
0: so, um. You know, I've got a vague idea of what Long War 1 did. Well, why do lay out for me exactly what Long War 2 does and then how it changes the base game? Man, it does a lot of things. Basically, what it does is it
1: says... the ba- You know, like, let's say the base game takes... It takes longer than this. Let's say the base game takes 30 hours to complete. It basically... Uh, you know, 30 hours to complete, maybe, you know, 20 missions over those... 25 missions over those 30 hours. Um, What it does is it just breaks everything apart and expands just everything, right, Uh, to make the game much bigger and wider and snappier, uh, or actually the opposite of snappier, just, like, kind of, like, slower and more methodical. Like, for instance, one of the big mechanics is that right off the bat, you have ten slots for your team, right? Right. 10, 10 different team members uh something that they did is they kind they chopped up the different uh roles that you could play right like in so in, in regular Xcom you have assault uh sharpshooter uh specialist I want to say which is the the guys with the drones and then heavy am I missing any uh, I don't know maybe there was a DLC class. Right. Well, they basically took that and they were like, well, let's just balloon this out to nine different classes. Right. Um, you know, and, oh. and, so, and, and yeah. Right. And, and mostly what they did is that they, they took pieces of the classes that were kind of uh, bound together and they separated them out. Right. So, you know, the, the run and gun that comes with the assault class. Right. Like the ability to make a full dash and then make an action right at the end of that dash. That is unique to the assault class. Um, but, and, and the assault class is still built around shotguns and, you know, assault rifles and everything like that. Um, and, uh, uh, but the sword, right, the sword slashes that go into that gameplay are now built into a different class called the Shinobi, which is, which is, you know, like, much more of, like, a melee combatant with, like, a fighter aspect, right? Then they added a class that's also just, like, a close combat class called the Ranger, or, yeah, I think it's called the Ranger, that has a double-barreled sawed-off shotgun uh, that has r- ridiculously poor accuracy, but does just like a boatload of damage. Um, and so, and so, there's there's lots of these little fracturing right now. Instead of having instead of having the guy with the heavy cannon right and the grenade launcher on his back, you have a grenadier right, and you have the gunner who has the cannon. Those are two separate classes, right? And right, you have the. Um, uh, uh, you have the uh, the technician, I think the class is called, who uh, who has a rocket launcher and a flamethrower on him, right? Um, and so and so they they just they kind of ripped a lot of these classes apart so that they are not one kind of one through line. But inside of each class, instead of having two, there's many more ranks. Not many more, maybe two or three more. But uh, but there's one of you get one of three ranks instead of one of two. Um, and, uh, and so, and so, yeah, so like that, you know, so there's still like, God, there's so much stuff to it, uh, because there are more people on the map, there's a lot more enemies on the map as well, and there's a whole bunch of new enemy types, right, like, enemy troopers can be grenadiers, or they can be guys with, like, shock batons, well, I guess those were actually in the base game. Um, but you know, like you, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of those different guys. Um, uh, the reason that you don't bring 10 guys to every mission is that for every mission, there's an infiltration time, right? Like missions have a, have a set timer. It's like, Oh, it'll take 10 days to complete this mission. Right. And in order to get 10 guys in that mission, you need to spend 17 days infiltrating, right? So instead, you need to pare that down to 7 guys, which will only take 8 days to infiltrate. But depending on what your infiltration percentage is, the enemy numbers will be scaled up or scaled down, right? So, like, if you infiltrate with 10 guys at 2%, the enemy is going to be really, really, like, hard to defeat, uh, but if you go in with four guys and you have like 400 percent infiltration, there's gonna be like one fucking dude. Um, it's God, it's so crazy. You can create these. You can create these squads, which are like a linked group uh, of of the different soldiers, and you assign them to squad, right? Like Alpha Squad, Bravo Squad, or whatever, um, and just like blanket deploy them on these different missions. There's way, way, way more missions, way more missions than you will ever be able to. Uh, than you will ever be able to staff. Um, so you really need to pick and choose and kind of say, okay, I really need the intel, right? Or like, oh my god, a scientist would be so gigantic right now. Um, but yeah, so fucking, yeah, dude, XCOM 2 The Long War. That sounds it's, excellent. It is super excellent. <laughs> um, do you need any of the DLC? Um, to- no, but it interfaces with the DLC as uh, far as I understand okay. it. Um, Uh, i have all the dlc i actually bought the season pass for uh for the XCOM dlc so i have all the dlc but uh uh and you can also get the benefits of like the gameplay benefits of the dlc without doing the special missions that come attached to that okay which is nice um so so
0: yeah neat um was that your whole week have you done anything else how's uh how are mythic pluses
1: Uh, How are Mythic Pluses? I did, I did a little bit of Mythic Plusing, but not all that, you know, not all that much. Um, uh, I have unfortunately had to. uh, My my schedule has changed recently, so my uh, my ability to uh, raid heroically is I can't I can't raid uh, heroic like I can't like participate in the heroic raids that I was participating in. Um, shout out to the Blades team if you guys are listening because I actually linked you the podcast earlier. So please listen. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, uh, but I you know but, but something I've done is I put a post on Reddit and I was just like, hey, listen, I'm an 890, you know, uh, heroic geared. Arms warrior with four legendaries, right? Like, and I got all of these responses from people, like, oh, pl- please, you know, like raid with us or whatever. Um, and so I've been doing trials, which are kind of like job interviews for like raiding where you go raid with them for a week. And a lot of the times you don't get loot. Like, I wasn't allowed to roll, uh, or, or get any of the loot from one of the trials that I went on where they just kind of see whether or not you are good or bad. Uh, I've got a couple of those lined up for the weekend, which is nice. Uh, but uh, yeah man dude wow is so weird wow is so weird
0: i think i think <laughs> this is great that's like i came home from my job to do a job interview for my games so I can yeah, work, yeah. so I can work after I work.
1: I, you know it, it, but like it's actually kind of funny because if you think about it, like yeah, that is a way that is a way to look at it, but it's also kind of like trying out for like the baseball Oh team. yeah,
0: no, absolutely. You know what I
1: mean? Like where and, and and there's a lot of you know, like after my first trial, the the guild leader got in touch with me and was basically like, Hey, listen, you did great, you know what I mean? Like uh, and I told him that I had a couple of different trials lined up, and he and he was like, and he was like, "Is there anything we could do to make ourselves a little more competitive?" And I was like, "Oh, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I thought
0: that was awesome." Oh uh, yeah, i have like a like, mm-hmm. uh, fifteen thousand dollars signing bonus. Well, so my big thing, and, uh, well, so my big uh, thing is I want to raid guild.
1: from. Uh, I don't want. I don't want to serve a server transfer, right? Like, I, you know, yeah. I'm obviously super connected to the role playing guild. Uh, I'm an officer in that guild. I don't want to to move. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's an expectation in a lot of these skills that you know, like yeah, you're gonna you're gonna server transfer. So, uh, it it's actually gotten to the point where I realized I basically realized to get sappy for a second that when. Uh like, like, I, you know, like, I got the schedule changed, and I was actually kind of, like, devastated. I was like, oh, man, like, it really sucks. I was really looking forward to, like, going and, you know, like, killing heroic Gul'dan, right? But, like, ah, whatever. I'll just find a different raid at a different time, and I set up all these trials. And as I'm doing these trials, it just became clearer and clearer that the thing that I was missing, right? The thing that I was, like, depressed about wasn't that I wasn't going to be heroic raiding. It's that I wasn't going to be playing with my friends. And I was like, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like,
0: Um, but... Uh, uh, but yeah. You know what you could do? You could buy for honor and play for honor with me. You know, is for honor still how how expensive is For Honor? It's still like sixty bucks. So I yeah if I, if, if, if I, I will not you know, if when the price drops you're like, I'll give that a shot, I'll be I'll be here waiting as my fat man with the club to to, to play with anybody.
1: I won a hundred percent uh want to get into uh want i mean so i, I actually kind of think that for honor is just kind of a game that's like not necessarily up my alley i actually kind of like watching it a lot but i don't necessarily know that i love playing it
0: um yeah no i, I, I don't know it depends on that. whether
1: or not it can kind of get into the fighting game aspect of it uh but like it, it feels very kind of like twitchy and like reflex based which is something that uh Contrary to the spec I play in World of Warcraft, I, I do not feel very good at and I don't get a lot of, like, necessarily, like, satisfaction from.
0: Um, um, but it's
1: really nice watching, you know, like, I've really enjoyed watching the, you know, like, the YouTubers that I subscribe to put up their For Honor videos.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, it's, It is a fun game to watch. It, it is a much slower game than, say, like, a Street Fighter where you really have to be, like... You know, you have to be inside the mind of the other player, like, you know. Right,
1: like counting like frames or whatever. And right, like, like, and be kind of like, stuff.
0: you know, be anticipating moves and be reacting on muscle memory. No, is a lot more like steady than that. And I think, I think you like, in the same way that like League has like some Twitch based components to it, but is ultimately mm-hmm. kind of about positioning and strategy. And I I think I think you might like Frauder from kind of that position. You you need to like kind of
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I heard that they actually put out the first balance
0: patch. They did. Um, So they they put out a new patch, and it's not super different. um, But they essentially the big thing was that the Valkyrie sucked shit, and they made that much better. And they have said that. (laughs) Okay, no, sorry, like, the, the way that you said that was really funny apparently the valkyrie win rate was like around 36 percent um um they have said that they want win rates to be somewhere between 45 and 55 percent um and that part of their issue is, is so this is a, this is the thing they, they put out said that um raider and lawbringer um are on the low end of power in like 1v1s but in like 4v4s they're they're very good um, because, um, essentially my understanding is, is that they can act as kind of anchors and like controllers, like Lawbringers are great at knocking people down, but not necessarily great at following up to it effectively. But if okay. you knock someone Lawbringers down... Lawbringers
1: are the pull guys, right? Yeah. But okay.
0: It, but if a Lawbringer knocks someone down and your friend's standing there, they can wail on them while they're trying to get up and you're, you're resetting your animation. Um, uh, and so I think that, um, and so they, they have said rather that they want to make Raiders and Lawbringers better in 1v1 without making them OP in 4v4. Um, there's also some other concerns, like, at the high gear levels, if you max out your revenge gain stats, you can get revenge fairly quickly in 1v1 fights, which is not the intention. It's supposed to be, like, a way for you to survive versus two people at once. Um, Right. And so they're looking at nerfing that, um... It's it's interesting. It's 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 cool to see that Ubisoft's dedicated to it. I think they learned some interesting lessons with Rainbow Six Siege. Yeah, I was Um,
1: about to say. I think that is. uh, uh, Yeah, I think that is interesting. Um, I also think that you know the 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 cool part of it is that they kind of open with all these different game modes. um, And to what what I keep hearing is that there's actually not a lot of like interest or play in what everyone thought the main game mode would be the kind of the capture the point and everything. Like everybody seems to be talking about and playing duels. All I see, uh, see, it's getting talked about and, and all I see are duels. I feels like it's weird. Cause like,
0: I, hmm. I can't tell what's actually popular or rather. So like, I see people talking about duels and, and brawls, which is one of the ones that two V twos. Um, and I see people say, shitting on four V fours all the time, and then when I get in game, four V four elimination has very high and one V ones are like at like medium like like the zero punctuation which, which was put out today was had Yahtzee bitching about how no one's playing one V one. Which not true in my experience, but like I, I think that I think that all the modes are getting play. I think it's just kind of like who's into what at the moment. Um, sure. I think maybe there's an argument that for the long term for competitive that Dominion and elimination will uh four v four elimination will fall off. Um just because um it uh it uh like th- there's gear stats um and it's it kind of has some weird mechanics to it. Um but I also think that like I personally really like Dominion just because as a as a slower character, I can kind of sit on a point and be like, ha, fuck you. Um, and have that be a way for like me to contribute without having to to try and chase down fucking Orochis. Um But uh I do think that I don't know, I, I think I think a lot remains to be seen. The only mode that I think is a real stinker is Skirmish. Um, like one of the the best thing about this fucking patch was that um for a while, four v four elimination and skirmish, which is kind of like a weird dominion light um or we're both in the same pool like you, you you could prefer one but you selected like you you could be put in if if you didn't they didn't find you a 4v4 match they put you into a skirmish match and skirmish is just got awful And now they've made it into a into a of uh uh, two separate pools right you can either pick 4v4 or you can or or you can pick skirmish and so I never have to play a match of skirmish again um, I don't think anybody really likes playing skirmish, um, except for like their dailies maybe. Um, okay. and so I, I think that that mode will probably die. Um, I think, I think 4v4s are fun. Um, and I think that people will keep playing them for that reason. I think 1v1, I would mean, not surprise me if, in if they ever release a competitive mode, if 1v1 and 2v2 dominate those, those modes. Um, mm-hmm. But four v four seems to be popular among kind of the casual crowd, Uh, but yeah, I've been. uh, But
1: yeah, that's very. It's you know I I find it uh, very interesting. I guess. Um,
0: I've been uh, batting fools around with my, uh, with my with my club with my shugoki stick. I am, I am. uh, It's it's so much fun. It's people. So I have discovered. That people do not, not rage as much as I expected them to at Shigoki, um, kind of, in in general, right? Like the subreddit, I was like, I want to find some Shigoki salt, and I went and searched the subreddit, and it's not that much, which is kind of like I guess people think that peacemakers or peacekeepers and Nabushi are and and uh, shield or and wardens are the real cheap characters, so I guess I'll just keep punting people off of cliffs until they learn to hate me. Um, but, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty glorious. Um, especially when like you're getting like, I had this one moment the other day where I was getting pretty badly beaten by an Orochi, but he had kind of backed me into a narrow corridor and he was at almost full health and he put me into like critical range and I just went for the charge and I guess that he didn't realize that like he, he couldn't figure out how to dodge because the corridor was so narrow and I one hit KO'd him. And it was great. I could just, I could, I could just feel the salt. It was so, (laughs) it was so beautiful. Um, uh, but I love the game is full of great moments like that. Like I was, uh, other favorite moment. I was, I was executing someone. You can interrupt someone in an execution, and this guy's teammate runs up to me. Doesn't interrupt me, but I'm like Mm -hmm. near an edge. So he waits for me to stop, and then he tries to throw me off the edge. But I counter it, and then I throw him off the edge. I'm just like, oh, bitch, you thought you could fuck with me, but no one fucks with the Shigoki. It was...
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I mean, you know what's actually funny is I I definitely get that... uh, I definitely get that satisfaction. That actually happened to me the other day in World of Warcraft because I was doing a fishing daily and uh and i guess i was just fishing and this like paladin came up and because i had my fishing pole equipped or whatever right like having your fishing pole equipped is actually like a huge huge problem from a pvp perspective because it lowers your max health by like a third right because there's all of this stamina baked onto your main weapon uh so even though i like changed into my main weapon i wasn't able to he like he killed me or whatever And then I rezzed, and I instantly... No, actually, and then I rezzed, and I sat there with my main weapon on, right? Like, in all all my, like, HP, and I was ready to go. And I wanted to see if he would fight me again. And he sat there, and he ate to get back to full HP. And then he started another fight, and then I killed him. And then he came up, and he rezzed twice more... And he sat there and he ate, and then he and then we fought again and I killed him the next two times and then he just went back to fishing. And I was like I was like, Yeah, motherfucker, you piece of shit, get out of my house.
0: Oh man. That's that's awesome.
1: If only if only the uh uh God, what's it called? Uh Underlight Angler, if only the underlight angler gave me uh all of the all of the stamina. It's also because artifact traits, like, for each artifact trait you put into the artifact, you get a whole bunch of, you get, like, 1% stamina, right? But, like, you know, now that, now that I'm at, like, 45%, you know, like, I'm at yeah. 45 artifact traits, whatever the number of artifact traits, it's just, like, so much extra stamina.
0: And the Underlight Angler gives you, like, bait duration increase. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's really, uh, it's really not great. I never got, I, I, I mean, I have my, like, 13th one. I think I may have just like procced my 14th one on the underlight angler. I was like, gonna ask if
0: you'd uh, if you'd maxed out the underlight angler yet.
1: I have been sitting on I've been sitting on one of those cursed queenfish uh like the the collar that gives you 10 oh, yeah. minutes of cursed queenfish. I've just been sitting on that for months at this point, right? Like I intend to just sit there and far, you know, you know what I mean cuz you know, I'll farm up thousands of artifact power with that. Uh, but I just can't be fucked.
0: Yeah, so, so pro, pro tip from when I was still playing, the actual quickest way to do it is you, uh, you max the, like, the, 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 the pool popper on, um, it's, uh, the ones in, um, in, in the level 110 area, um, well, I can't remember the name. Oh,
1: the rune, the rune scale koi?
0: Yeah, yeah, you do it for the rune scale koi, and then you just run around the river by the bridge, and you, you have like, you have magic bait on, you just keep popping them and you'll most likely pull out like, um, some more bait. And then like a couple of those, uh, like, and use those, the, the, the merlocks as you get them and you pick mm. up them. And that's a good way to like, it it's self-persistent and I think it gets, gets you more a, uh, artifact power. Um, I think it was like 16 or 17 traits. Um, just because it gets so tedious cause nothing scales. It's, it's, uh. Even I, who love fishing, couldn't be fucked, um, to, to, to fill it off, um, or rather, I was working on it, and then I quit WoW, um, but, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, today I, uh, today I was, uh, raiding with, uh, with Fick, with Fayorn, shout out, uh. And I and I mentioned to you, I they they were talking about the podcast and I was like I was like, Yeah, you know, do, do you guys remember Billamong and he was like uh, yeah, I was like, Yeah, he quit. And he was like, Oh, did he get tired of being the best DPS in Sanctuary? <laughs> so you got a very good you got a very good shout out.
0: <laughs> uh yeah, no, I I just kind of this always happens to me with him and most is I get to a point where I'm like, Why why am I still doing this and then I go do something else?
1: yeah i mean i if i hadn't if I hadn't have gotten into raiding uh this hard mm. I never would have uh i would have quit a while ago uh, i think yeah
0: i I feel like kind of like uh, this this is actually exactly the same thing that happened last time we 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 played before i quit it's like I went home for Christmas and didn't really play and I kind of fell out of interest because I was enjoying raiding, and i was I was like listening to different podcasts. Like, I was listening to the Walking in the Winds podcast, mm-hmm. you know, getting wow, get, yeah. getting my theory down, and then I went home and I'm like, I, I don't care about this anymore. Um,
1: yeah, 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 I definitely feel that. You should come raid Nighthold. is a lot of fun. The bosses are... The the bosses are a lot of fun, and the mechanics are really, like, kind of, like, cool and interesting. It's really the right balance between, like... And Emerald Nightmare didn't strike this, this balance for me, where, like, the mechanics are... Interesting and they and and like kind of complex, but they also don't fuck up your ability to like excel from like a DPS perspective, if that makes sense. Um, like I got a legendary parse, uh, like a worldwide legendary parse. Like the you know of of everyone that has killed Spellblade L'Oréal, I was the two hundred and seventh best kill. Um, anyway, but like the uh, like the ability to really push your numbers, right? To kind of say you know, I am going to be the, you know, I'm going to just the, be the very best at arms warrior and I'm going to hit my rotation. Right. But also at the same time, like it's more interesting than hitting a target dummy, obviously. Right. Um, it hits a really great balance between those two and the fights are just like, like the, the fights are very fun and uh, fun and interesting.
0: Uh. Well, maybe if I find it in my cold black heart, to, to return to WoW, I'll give it a, yeah. a look. Yeah,
1: I mean, I yeah, I don't know. I uh, I also got a... I don't know. I That just really got me... That just, like, really, like, hooked me into the game. I'm also doing... Like, I kind of just can't leave... World, like, I'm doing all of those, like, World Quest emissaries. I actually do them across multiple characters now. Um, which is just because I'm an addicted... Just an addicted man, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I get it, right? Like, if that's what you want to do. Um, it's
1: also... I mean, it's also nice because, you know... Uh, like, you know, like, wow, it's always been this way, but I, I I, love that I can just, like, be watching something else. Like, I've been watching, have you heard of uh, Have you heard of American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson? I have not.
0: Or oh, I've heard of it. Okay, I've, you, I, I've, I've heard of it, but I don't know anything. I, all I have heard is actually, that it's American Crime Story. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, the, it's from the guys uh, from American Horror Story, right? But it's a new anthology series that's, like, Uh, kind of dramatized, but real events or whatever. The next one is going to be about Hurricane Katrina, apparently. But yeah, yeah, The the, I've been watching The People vs. O.J. Simpson and holy shit, it's so good, this show. It's insane how good this show is. Uh, I really recommend it. It's on Netflix. So this is where I've been watching it. I super hardcore fucking recommend it to everyone. Oh, my God. It's so good.
0: Maybe I'll maybe I'll give that a watch.
1: Oh, you know what? I, I had one more thing. Uh, something else I watched the other day was a movie called Dear White People. Have you ever heard of this I movie? I have heard of it. I have not seen it. Have you, you? I really recommend going. I really recommend watching it. and That movie has no business being as good as it is for like what it is. It's a very good. It's a very good example of. Uh, um, just to kind of follow up on our Oscars podcast, I was talking about how a lot of these Oscar movies are very like, like small scale slice of life, very very small, right? Uh, and it's because they're indie productions, right? And they feel like they can't they can't be big. They can't look big. Uh, and they can't go after big stuff because uh, this is a very good independent movie built around that that like principle not being true, right Like it is it is a small production you know and, and, it's, and it's kind of a, a small scope, right But it's talking about I mean it's talking about racism in like the the biggest aspirations possible. Uh, and kind of and, and it does a really great job of kind of like you know uh, there there isn't anyone that's like a clan member right that's like a super kind of almost straw man racist right It's all these little different degrees and like these different kind of ideas and like you know uh, in, in the way that generations and everybody kind of has their own their own viewpoints on that and it's really kind of about like d- these dueling viewpoints to see who's right who you agree with, who you don't agree with? What are the strengths and weaknesses of each? And it's just really, really, really well done. They're making a TV TV series. Yeah, I was gonna say they're
0: it. they're getting a net, it's a Netflix series, right?
1: Yeah they they create they made a trailer for it and everybody got really mad.
0: Yeah, no, I, I remember that because um, the person who I watched talk about it, shout out to Philip DeFranco. Um, so, oh, I also watched his video on it, um, yeah. which which is kind of where I got the information about the uh, about the movie, which he said was good and was kind of very very well balanced um, and, and realistic, um, and that maybe the trailer was a poor trailer for the show, assuming that the show follows the same themes as the, uh, as the movie, um, so I, I was interested, I just haven't had the time, um, uh, did you see the trailer for, like, it's, it's like a nothing trailer, but, like, for, like, the, Will Smith's shadowrun Run looking movie? Yeah, dude, Bright. Yeah. was written by Max Landis. Did you not know that? Oh, about that's it? Right. I forgot about that.
1: Yeah, it's, it was written by Max Landis. It was purchased it was purchased for like 3 million dollars. Like it's kind of in which is a from like it getting bought for that much is insane, right? Um but uh yeah, yeah. I mean, Netflix, dude, it's fucking Netflix. I'm actually so I'm actually really surprised how quickly they turned this around uh that comes out in December right uh uh, yeah it comes out December but like you know that that script purchase was from last year you know so they like they really fast-tracked it uh in order to get it done but it was nice because they care I think so uh this isn't this isn't a huge surprise um but Will Smith and David Iyer obviously had a really good time shooting Suicide Squad together uh because they came as a package onto that script um in fact, David I. In fact, David Iyer Did the same thing with Margot Robbie. David Iyer Is going to be, uh, directing the um, another DC animated or DC extended universe movie called Gotham City Sirens, which is like, it, it, which is a comic series centered around like Harley Quinn, Catwoman, um, and Poison Ivy, t- typically. Um, Buddy, but, uh,
0: what I, I believe that you referred to, the movie that they were in together incorrectly. I believe you called it. Suicide oh, you're squad. right. It is, it is Academy Award-winning award winning
1: <laughs> movie Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so I bought There's a there's like a DC Cinematic Universe subreddit, and immediately after that, the uh, the top post on that subreddit was like a, a photoshopped version of the Suicide Squad, like cover art. That was just Academy Award winning in block text over everything. And then Suicide Squad was, like, a little tiny thing in the bottom. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah, dude, Mel Gibson is in talks to direct Suicide Squad 2. What? Right? Yeah, that's it. He confirmed it at the Oscars. I saw the reporting on that, but it was kind of, like, rumors. And it was from people I trust, right? Like, it was from reporters who are good at getting scoops like this. And I was like... It's like Mel, come on it's Mel Gibson there's no way right but uh, uh, but then at the Oscars somebody asked him about it on the red carpet he was like yeah you know some people they, you know they showed up at my house and we kind of like you know went through the story beats or whatever and I was like wow man wow 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 if they get Mel Gibson to direct that movie <laughs>
0: uh, man I don't know Ah, well, that was that was quite a square <laughs> to end The podcast, I guess. Yeah, I guess. So, if you want to email us about what you think of Academy Award-winning movie Suicide Squad, you can <laughs> email us at some at gmail dot com. You can watch us on Twitch at twitch tv slash from play games. You can email us, or I already said that. You can comment on a on a YouTube and uh soundcloud and give us ratings on itunes please and love us forever and talk to us on twitter all the information is in the description um i think that's about it buddy do you have anything else you wanted to promote
1: uh there's nothing else that i was looking to promote uh thanks for tuning in loyal listeners
0: all right until next time until
1: next time